Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. As February wraps up, we check in with Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer, as he discusses what's currently moving the markets and provides insights on what may be next for investors. This week, all eyes will be on retail earnings, which could make the markets move in certain ways. But Urian tells host Pamela Ritchie that he doesn't expect the markets to drop to any new lows, but rather it will be in limbo until it finds the end game. Urian discussed this concept weeks before, where he suggests markets this year will move in a choppy sideways trend that he believes will bugger up both bears and bulls. So the question is, has the Fed peaked or will they raise rates even more and possibly even touch 6% sometime this year? Urian suggests if the market is in limbo this year, it could lead to different opportunities. The market will be less robust, but he says this could pave the way for value stocks over growth, small caps over large caps, and international opportunities over U.S. Urian also discusses commodities, the debt ceiling, and how China's reopening could affect global markets. As per usual, Urian will be sharing his charts, so please head to at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. This podcast was recorded on February 27, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. What is behind some of the market moves right now? Last week was um, looking a little dark on the equity side of things. We see the light this week. What's going on in the background? Yeah, so let's let's pull up slide one. And the slide Urian is referring to is real rates tweeted on February 28th. Yeah, we had a very strong January, of course. January was the reverse image of everything we saw in 2022 in terms of leadership, direction of the market, et cetera, et cetera. Then in early February, the un- the employment report came, and that turned out to be a very, very strong report, stronger than I think anyone would like to see, other than the people getting getting their jobs, of course. Um, but you know, it it kind of ushered in a new phase for the market where good news is bad news because the the Fed needs the news. Uh, you know, it doesn't want the news to be terrible, but it wants it to be less good than it was, so that there's some sense that the inflation genie is is hopefully going back into the bottle. So it started with the payroll number early February. Then we had the retail sales number a little bit later. And then we started getting the inflation data, the CPI, the PPI, both were coming in a little hotter than expected. And then last week we had the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Series, which is the Fed's favorite inflation measure. And that showed a pretty hot inflation number as well. So, you know, inflation has come down. I mean, it was 9% last June. It's closer to 5% uh, now. But, you know, I think the risk is that it starts to get more sticky from here, while at the same time, the economy remains pretty resilient. So you put all of that together, 
And what I show in this chart here is the Fed's terminal rate, so what the market expects the Fed uh, to do in terms of how far it will bring rates up. And that terminal rate has been ratcheted up now from you know the high fours where it had been for a while to now almost five and three eighths. And you can see that the gray line shows the tips break even. That's coming up a little bit, but you can see that the purple line is coming up <clears throat> much faster than the gray line. So it shows you that real rates are becoming more positive again. And so the regime of the Fed kind of going higher for longer um, is starting to get priced in. And of course, the Fed has been basically saying this for months, right? The Fed started saying this in December and the market just wasn't listening because the market has been, uh, and actually we can pull up slide two. The next slide is titled The Fed in the Market, also tweeted on February 28th. The market's been you know, rallying in January on this hope that, yes, earnings are coming down, but the Fed is going to bail us out with this very big pivot. And, and you know, the way I think of it, just to back up for a second, the market needs two things, right, per the discounted cash flow model, which is kind of how I, how, how I tend to think about valuations, is you put earnings in the numerator or expected cash flows, if you will, and then a cost of capital in the denominator. And basically the, the valuation of any asset, whether it's bonds or stocks or anything else, is basically the present value of those future cash flows. Um, and so what the Fed did in 2022, it raised the cost of capital. <clears throat> that lowered the present value of future cash flows, all else being equal. That's why bond yields went up. That's why the stock market went down. So that was the theme for 2022. But when that happened last year, earnings were still fine, right? Earnings growth was slowing, but it was still positive. And so <clears throat> the market was able to kind of have some, uh, some, some, um, some support from that side. Then in October, the market bottomed. Earnings started to come down, but then the, the whole pivot was starting to get priced in. And you see this here in the orange line. That, that line is the forward curve, the SOFR curve, as it's called. And it has been ratcheted up now, given the data points that I just mentioned. <clears throat> but it still shows the Fed pivoting after it gets to five and three eighths, back down to about three and uh, three and change. So the market still expects the Fed to very quickly lower rates once it's done raising them. And, you know, it's one thing if you don't have earnings, the market can look through that. But Which it can only look last year, right? I mean, yeah. it's not sort of the, the piece yeah. that's sticking. Right. So the rally since the October low of October 13th um, was fueled by um, <clears throat> the promise that the liquidity cycle would bail out the earnings cycle, right? You need to have at least one of those two. Obviously, ideally, you have both. And when you see really strong markets like we saw in the mid-90s, for instance, or the early 2010s, uh, you have earnings growing and liquidity being very generous. Um, and of course, the opposite happens when you have really bad bear markets like the financial crisis. You had neither of them, but typically you have one or the other. And so the rally from October low until just now, I think, was, yes, a recognition that earnings were falling, but the, the liquidity cycle is going to bail out that earnings decline and will be okay. And so the risk right now, and the reason why I think we're going to have this, this state of limbo here for a while, is that the Fed is kind of throwing cold water on, the, on, on this pivot scenario. I mean, the market is still expecting it, but a lot less so than it did before. So if we end up having falling earnings um, and the Fed is still actively raising rates and, re and draining liquidity, 
then the market doesn't really have a leg to stand on. And I think what we saw last week um, is, is a little bit of a hint of what that could look like. And so, so the market, to an extent, pricing all of this in, which maybe it hadn't done before. Um, I think, that, yeah, the market was pricing in, it was tolerating the decline in earnings, which we're seeing, and, and we can uh, pull up the slide at 21. The next sequence of slides touch on earnings. The first chart is earnings estimate progression, and the slide after that is global earnings growth, both tweeted by Urian on March 1st. Earnings are declining, but the Fed's got our back, and, and if earnings decline too much, the Fed will, will, will pivot and, and cut rates, and then at least the numerator, the denominator of the DCF model will, will bail us out. I, I think that the risk is that 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 moment is going to be farther away because you know we thought the Fed was going to be done at you know four and then it became four and a half and then it became five and now it's five and three eighths um, and that pivot you know going back to three um, maybe it's only back to four and maybe it happens you know next year and not not this year and I think you know all of that the market can still handle but it becomes more difficult to handle because that, that promise of that easier liquidity condition um, is, is going to be farther away. And I think that's just what the market is digesting right now, is that it's, it doesn't really have either leg of the stool right now. And again, I, I don't think it's, it's the end of the world. I don't think we're going to new lows or anything like that. But I think it also uh, illustrates that we don't have the recipe yet for a new bull market. And I think I've been pretty consistent on this over the past year that um, I think the lows of last year may very well be the lows, the October lows, you know, down 28% from the high. Um, and, uh, and so I don't think we need to undercut those lows, but at the same time, I, I just don't see the narrative yet for a new bull market. And of course the market after the big run in January, a lot of people were starting to build hopes that that would be the case. But I, I don't think that's the case because, as you see from this earnings chart here, uh, which shows the incoming waves of falling estimates by quarter, you know, those waves are all negative. So the, the, the tide is going out, if you will, on the earnings front. And if we go to the next slide, 22, you can see this globally. This is the rate of change of uh, earnings estimates. And you can see, you know, we, we came off of a very high peak in 2021, 50% earnings growth. And now we're basically um, at or below zero for most regions. EM obviously having led the way down mostly because of China over the past year or so. Uh, but again, I don't see a reversal yet. You know, the market can look through these things, but it needs the promise of easier financial conditions to get it there. And so I think for, for now, we're going to be sort of backing and filling here while, while we wait for the inflation numbers to, to come in better and we wait for the employment numbers to come in worse. I mean, I, I hate to put it in those stark terms, but that's basically what, we're, what the market is looking for. And Yurin, just going back to the liquidity for, for a second there, um, we don't always talk about QT, but that, of course, goes on regularly. It, it gets... Uh, more and more and more taken out of the market. What, what levels are we at at this stage that we need to be aware of? So let's go to slide four. That slide he's referring to is liquidity dynamics tweeted on March 1st. So this is an interesting part of, of the plumbing and it's especially interesting because uh, you know, we have the whole debt ceiling showdown here in the US that's going to be happening over the summer. And so there's this very kind of obscure 
plumbing dynamic of what's called the TGA, which is the Treasury General Account. So this is the, the cash balance that the Treasury has at the Fed. So in this chart, the gray line is the Fed's balance sheet. So we know that the Fed is doing QT, right? It's shrinking its uh, system open market account by 95 billion a month. And that's that gray line first going up during COVID and that now coming down. The purple bars is the TGA account. And what's interesting is that, you know, of course, as the Fed increases its balance sheet, which is what it did during uh, in 2020 during the, the, the pandemic, um, it starts to generate income on that balance sheet. And that income is not the Fed's income, it's the Treasury's income. And so as income is generated, coupons are paid, paid, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that money goes into the TGA account, which is that that purple that purple bars there. And so when the Biden administration in 2021, I think it was, did the stimulus bill, rather than borrowing uh, in the bond market to pay for that uh, stimulus, it drew down its TGA account. And that's how you see those purple bars <clears throat> going down. I suspect that the Treasury probably wish now it hadn't done that because now that we have uh, now that we're running into the debt ceiling, uh, the Treasury, of course, is running out of money. Right now, it still has $364 billion, uh, and it will likely draw that down. But the reason I mention this is that when the Treasury is building up its cash reserve at the Fed, that is considered um, a, a, um, a, a restrictive liquidity condition. Uh, when it's drawing down its TGA, it's considered stimulative, right? Because it's taking money out of the Fed balance sheet and spending it in the economy. So that is a form of stimulus. And what's what's ironic is that if you look on the left-hand side of this chart, back in 21, um, it you know the Fed was still doing lots of QE, 120 billion a month, while the Treasury was spending down this money. So it was kind of like a double stimulus. And I think in retrospect, maybe that's where some of the inflation came from, because it was just too much. The economy didn't need that much. So now we have kind of a different story. We have the balance sheet is shrinking. The Treasury is presumably going to spend down this cash because it has to resort to emergency measures. But then think about the summer, assuming that a debt ceiling deal has reached, which, you know, of course, you never know because Congress is kind of, you know, a carnival right now. But let's assume that a debt ceiling um, deal is reached. Treasury is shrinking its balance sheet. The Treasury is spent, is rebuilding its cash hoard. Um, that would be kind of a double restrictive thing. So the plumbing here of how this money is moving around um, is, is very interesting. And if we go to slide five, when you put all of these things together. Overall liquidity is the next chart up, which was tweeted on March 1st. Uh, the orange line is the Fed balance sheet minus all the reverse repos that are happening, which is a form of, of liquidity and minus this TGA account. And it shows you that, you know, that orange line pretty well explains the rise in the market up to the uh, 20, early 2022 high. It explains the decline of the market because the market rides this tide of liquidity, uh, you know, among other things. I mean, it's not the only thing that's driving the market. Of course, earnings are as well. But when the Fed is injecting liquidity, it's good. And when it's taking it out, it's bad. And you can see that that orange line has not been making new lows, even though the Fed's QT is ongoing. And that's because this TGA and reverse repo uh, you know, mechanic is, is offsetting it. So 
if if this orange line at some point starts going down again in earnest, which I think it will do over the summer, then uh, that's going to be a headwind for the market. So that's kind of how all this plumbing stuff works with what the Fed is doing. That's fascinating. So if there's a an element, of, it, we've asked this recently in some other ways, but this idea of going a little bit sideways, limbo is another word perhaps being used for certain scenarios. Um, what does it mean sort of relatively around the world? I think it's it's actually an opportunity. Um, and, and we're going to talk about this more next week. But, you know, the last 10 years have been a market where the tape was straight up, right? But it was a narrow tape, right? It was the FANG stocks, the big mega cap growers. And as an investor, at least as a U.S. investor, I know I know we're talking to a Canadian audience, but as an investor, you just needed to buy the S&P 500 index, which was driven by a handful of mega cap growers. And anything you did to diversify away from that, assuming that your currency was dollars, which of course for you folks, it's not. Um, anything you did to diversify from there over the last 10 years was detractive in terms of your return. Like if you bought international, it just it increased your tracking error and lowered your return. That's not what diversification is supposed to achieve, right? And so, but it was, but that happened in a very strong tape, like the market was going up 20% per year. I think we have kind of transitioned to more of a, of a, uh, of a late cycle or a late super cycle environment where I think the market still goes up, we'll still make new highs and all that stuff, but it'll be less robust because the leadership is changing, right? It's, it's changing from the Googles and the Apples and the Amazons to basically everything else. So it's going to be value over growth. It's going to be commodities over financial assets. It's going to be small cap over large cap. And more importantly for, for you folks, it's going to be international over U.S. And so the way I think of it is, yeah, so, so, so I think the, the, the pond that we're all fishing in it's going to be much better stocked. It's going to be easier to, to get fish out of the pond, but it will be in a lower return environment, right? So not a negative return environment, but a lower return environment. So think of it as the beta versus the alpha, right? If it was all about the beta, you just had to own the index and you were done. Uh, when it goes to the alpha, uh, you're going to have more second order returns. It's going to be much more uh, of an environment for active management uh, than passive management. So I think it is a very good opportunity set, but against the expectations that, you know, it's not going to be easy just to, to bang out a 20% return and call it a day. Right. Fascinating. Okay. Questions coming in here. This is going back to really the rates discussion. Um, your thoughts on the yield curve and long bonds if we do see further rate hikes through through this year? It's a good question. And we can pull up slide three. Um, I, I haven't shown my, my, my cloud chart in a while, so we'll show it today. And the cloud chart he's referring to is nominal rates and inflation tweeted on February 28th. But yeah, you know, the 10-year Treasury yield peaked at 4.3-ish last October. Uh, recently, just a few weeks ago, it went down as much as like 3.4, I'm going to say. Uh, right now, it is back up to 39 and um, and so in this chart, I showed the tips break evens on the horizontal, the 10 year nominal yield on the vertical. That blue line is the regression of since the financial crisis, what the relationship has been between inflation expectations and nominal yield. So in other words, what I'm showing here is the real yield. 
And what we can see is that at 394, the 10-year Treasury is well above uh, the inflation break-even. Um, and, and maybe to put it a different way, if we could pull up slide one again, which I showed at the beginning. Urian is referring back to the real rates chart. You can see that the gap between where inflation expectations are and the terminal rate is, of course, that's the terminal rate for the Fed, not the long end of the yield curve. But you can see that that gap is about as positive, uh, it's more positive than it has been in years. So, um, so that's a quick, that's a long way of saying that real rates are going up, are becoming more positive, which I think, you know, even though there are some headwinds maybe in the near term, because as they become more positive, it suggests that yields will go up. So if you own bonds, you might have a short-term loss on them. But ultimately, it's force. It's very, it's very good because you, if you're a bondholder, you want positive real yields because that's that's your real return. So in that sense, if we go back to slide three, uh, this is a very bullish chart because you know the 40 side of the 60/40. I think you know we don't know what the correlation is going to be. Obviously, the correlation historically has been negative between bonds and stocks, which is why we have that 40 in a 60/40. And last year, the correlation was positive. So that's not what we want to see. But if we compare, for instance, if we had perfect foresight a year and a half ago and we bought bonds when real, when real yields were negative, right, which is where they were in 2021, and we thought, okay, well, I don't like this negative real yield, but I'm going to buy them because at least I know they're going to provide insurance against the stock market. Well, that turned out not to happen. So you had a double whammy of neither getting the yield nor the protection when if if we had bought bonds a year and a half ago of course nobody knew that these things were going to happen but now at least like we don't know what the level of protection is going to be because we just don't know in uh, ahead of time what the correlation is going to be but at least we know that we're going to get paid while we wait for that to happen because at a 394 yield against you know a two and a quarter percent inflation expectation over the next five, 10 years, you're getting a pretty good uh, uh, coupon there, a real coupon. And so even if the 40 does not protect against the 60, you're getting some yield out of it and you're getting paid uh, for that to take that risk as opposed to a year and a half ago, an investor would have paid to take the risk. Now the investor is getting paid to take the risk. So I think it's a much better backdrop, even if we don't know to what degree that 40 and the 60 are going to be correlated or not. A few other questions are coming in. So going back to some of the structural changes that um, that you thought might be afoot, where do you see metals and gold going this year? It rallied in January, but uh, we've seen it fallen since then. This is gold. Gold is really interesting. So I, I, I think commodities are in a super cycle um, and it's part of that uh, secular backdrop. And, and I promise for next week, we're going to have lots of charts on this. Uh, I almost put them in this week's report, but I, I had too much material. Um, uh, but I think there's a super cycle at hand that the Nifty 50, the mega cap growers have given up the, the baton, has, have passed the baton of leadership after eight years of being the only game in town. Uh, to basically everything else. So there, there's this very long super cycle spanning three decades between lows of value versus growth, small versus large, commodities versus financial assets. And the commodity super cycle is part of that. So I think commodity stocks are going to continue to perform, uh, maybe not over the next six months as earnings come down, but certainly uh, over the next you know, five, 10 years. So this is a very long view. 
I think gold is part of that. Um, the gold rally, um, I, I like I never I didn't really understand it uh, because I, I think it's part of this whole Fed pivot scenario that at some point the Fed would pivot, would bring rates all the way back down to a neutral policy that would lower the uh, level of real rates. And that tends to be bullish for gold, right? Gold tends to outperform when real rates are going down and vice versa. But we, we can see that that was premature because the Fed is not ready to go there yet. So I, I don't really see gold working in the near term. But over the long term, I think it's still very much a good place to be. And, and when you start seeing some of the numbers that we're seeing about the interest expense of the U.S. government um, as rates go up, how much of the budget is now being spent on interest expense. I, I, I saw a statistic somewhere that we're spending more on debt service now than on defense. Um, and so it, it raises the, 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 the possibility that down the road, not, not this year, not next year, but down the road over the next five years, uh, that we could be once again be in a position where the Fed is conducting financial repression like it did in the 1940s, an analog that we've brought up many times and that, of course, Japan has been doing for about 10 years or so, uh, where the Fed just has to keep rates low because there's otherwise it's going to consume the entire budget of the of the U.S. government. And that, of course, would be you know the, the perfect storm for gold, because then you would have repressed real rates at lower levels than they otherwise would be. And then gold starts to serve as a store of value. Uh, but I, I don't think that's a scenario for today. Uh, but it is a scenario for the next, you know, five years or so. That's great. Um, let's this get this question. And so this is thoughts on the impact of China's reopening. I thought about that earnings chart where you saw such a massive drawdown. Um, what does that mean for earnings, perhaps looking there and, and further afield? But the China reopening. China's reopening is definitely a, a tailwind that sort of muddies the water of what otherwise would be kind of a simple binary conclusion, right? So U.S. economy, it remains pretty resilient, or at least pockets of it do, right? The consumer is resilient, even though the manufacturing side is, is contracting. And of course, the housing side is, is pretty weak right now as mortgage rates go up. And normally you would just look at the yield curve and say, well, it's, it hasn't been this inverted in, you know, in 40 years. So in, undoubtedly, we're going into a recession, which means that earnings are going to fall, you know, 20 percent. And then uh, as the Fed is tightening into all of that, uh, there, there's no place to hide, you know, and so just sell everything. Uh, I mean, that would normally be kind of a, an, an easy thing to say, not, not that anything is easy in, in this market. But China, as, as you point out, is only now reopening. Right. And so uh, it's the second world's second largest economy. It remained relatively locked down while the rest of the world was opening. And now the rest of the world, or at least the U.S., is slowing and possibly heading into a recession, uh, maybe the second half of this year, right as China is reopening. And I think what it means is that it, it's going to um, it's going to it's going to create a less clear primary trend. Um, and, and it's going to be a, a tailwind for global earnings, right? So we may not see the earnings decline that we otherwise might get from the kind of yield curve signal that, that, that we're getting. So maybe earnings only go down 10% because you have some forces bringing them up while other forces are coming down. So net-net, it's a positive. Um, and, um, and I think it, it might 
it might mute the cycle um, uh, a bit. Um, and in a way, it's kind of what, what happened after the financial crisis, right? China was the one that led us out of that, that mess because China did this massive stimulus. Not that China is going to do a massive stimulus, but you're going to have pent up consumption, travel, things like that. And so, so I think it's, it's a good thing that it's happening now. It was a bad thing last year when it wasn't happening. And that's why, you know, going back to slide 2020, slide 22, you saw how much affected, uh, EM earnings were, which were driven by China. And now I think those, those headwinds turn into tailwinds. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing all of your charts with us. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.